0: God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God tell you? <laughs> Well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God to speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking how could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, said some bad pizza. Jesus said we'd recognize his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. It's an age-old question that has led people to suggest that God has stopped speaking since the Bible was completed. The question is, how do our experiences hearing from the Spirit today compare with that of Scripture? God's words are both a vessel of His power and a reflection of His character. Therefore, any claim to hearing God's voice today represents a claim to divine authority. This looks as though we're placing our experience on par with the Bible, something most Protestant Christians would emphatically reject. So how do we resolve this theological problem of spirit versus scripture? Hi, and welcome to the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, practical theologian, author, and the founding director of God Conversations, a ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. Today's podcast is all about this theological problem of spirit versus Scripture. It's the third of a three-part series that features readings from my new book, The Church Who Hears God's Voice, equipping everyone to recognize and respond to the Spirit. And as I've said before, we are so excited to finally release this book. It has been some 25 years in the making and includes findings from my, re- my research, my PhD research, as well as insights from my personal experience and ministry all over the world. To give you a little bit of a taster, here's the trailer. There's nothing quite like hearing God's voice for yourself. You may have heard some stories a person hears from God and healing flows. Another sees a vision of the future and it unfolds before their eyes. There's a wow factor. God seems so real. People's lives are forever changed. But you may have heard the bad stories too. Broken dreams, divided congregations, and even false cults. History tells the terrible tales of abuse associated with the claim, God told me. So how do we hear God's voice? How do we know it's god what does hearing the spirit outside scripture mean for scripture itself and what does all this look like in the life of the church in my book i bring history theology and real life experience from my phd research together to answer these questions the church who hears god's voice provides both a comprehensive theology and a pastoral strategy for building a community where everyone can hear from God in ways that are theologically orthodox and pastorally safe. Jesus sent His Spirit to be His continuing voice on the earth. Every time the Spirit spoke to the early church, disciples were formed, miracles happened and God's mission was fulfilled. God is still speaking by His Spirit. This book will equip you to continue that mission by being the church who hears God's voice. So in today's podcast, we begin with a reading from chapter four, and it's entitled The Theological Problem of Spirit Versus Scripture. And it's an issue that is introduced in this chapter and then unpacked in quite a bit of detail throughout the book. So today's podcast is a little bit of an entree before you may choose to enjoy the main meal. I hope you enjoy. Chapter four the theological problem of spirit versus scripture, a radical move. In 2002, I was contemplating an interstate move on the basis of a dream. Move to Sydney, the spirit had said, and you'll become the academic dean of Hillsong College. At the time, I'd been working two part-time jobs, one at a local Bible college and the other pastoring a church in Melbourne. I was thriving in both positions, happily settled in a lovely home and had no plans to move to an unknown city a thousand kilometres away. In Sydney, Hillsong College wasn't advertising a new position externally, nor was it their policy to do so. I was an unknown entity, connected only vaguely through my current networks. Still, The guidance had been spectacularly clear. Dreams and prophecies from six to seven independent sources all pointed in the same direction. The spirits leading had checked all the boxes. At the same time, the idea of leaving my jobs, friends and family with no possibility of employment was a radical one, particularly for a risk-averse single woman. When the time came to move, I was confronted with the ludicrousness of my situation and the all-consuming question, could I trust what God said? At first, the answer seems obvious. Scripture assures us that God does what He says He will do, that the word from God's mouth does not return to Him empty, but achieves the purpose for which it was sent. Isaiah 55.11 God is not a human that he should lie. Does he speak and then not act? Numbers 23, 19. But then the question comes, did those verses mean the same for me as they did back then for Samuel? Would God's words not return empty for me, just as they wouldn't return empty for Isaiah? The answer depends on your theology. Some would say yes, yes others would say no. Most Protestant theologians would say that my hearing guide experience was not as authoritative as those in the biblical accounts and couldn't be trusted in the same way. The experiences of the Bible are seen to be special and unrepeatable, while contemporary encounters are seen to be more subject to human influence. Hence, the only reliable way to hear God today is through studying the Bible, listening to sermons, reading Christian books and obtaining the wisdom of counsel. Conversely, another group of theologians, largely from the Catholic tradition, would say that we can hear from God in the same way as the Bible characters did. So, if my spirit revelation was authentic, I should follow it and believe for it to come to pass. Still, another group would say that my experience was illegitimate from the outset. God doesn't speak like that anymore. So it was either the product of mental instability or worse, diabolical influence. The situation was made more complex when I sought answers in my local Bible college library. There I found two groups of books. One was written by Protestant theologians. They applied historical exegesis skills to make claims about the nature of contemporary experiences such as mine. The other group was written by Pentecostal practitioners. They told of amazing hearing God stories that were akin to the biblical accounts but seemed to have little theological depth. I was left with no clear answers. The practitioners had limited theology and the theologians had limited experience. My questions about moving to Sydney highlighted a theological problem that has existed ever since the scriptures were canonised in the 4th century. It is the reason why many churches today reject the idea of direct spirit revelation. The problem boils down to how we view the relationship of our spirit-talking experiences to scripture. How do our spirit encounters compare with those in the Bible? As we've seen in Scripture, God's words are both a vessel of His power and a reflection of His character. Therefore, the claim to hearing God's voice represents a claim to divine authority. If God has truly spoken, then His words have bearing over our lives and the circumstances to which they refer – At a practical level, that means when God speaks, we should obey. It also means we should expect God's words to come to pass. So in this way of thinking, it would be right for me to move to Sydney, and I should believe for my circumstances to come into alignment with God's words. Just as Abraham moved when God told him to go to Canaan, and the Apostle Paul moved when God told him to go to Macedonia. So I should move when God tells me to go to Sydney. If their response was to treat God's words as authoritative, so should I. Can you see our theological conundrum? The practical realities of contemporary revelatory experiences make them as authoritative as the biblical writers. This looks as if we're placing our experience on par with the Bible, something most Protestant Christians would emphatically reject as illegitimate. The question is, How does the spoken word of the Spirit relate to the written word of the Scriptures? Four answers to the theological problem. The answer to our theological problem is crucial because it shapes our understandings of how the Spirit speaks today, how we recognise it, and how we respond to it. In turn, this frames our ideas about discipleship and ministry – as well as the nature and role of the scriptures. Four different frameworks have been proposed to address the problem of spirit versus scripture. In this chapter, we examine each of them closely. The first and third approaches assume that our contemporary experiences are discontinuous with the biblical experience. The second and fourth anticipate continuity with the biblical experience. We will see why the first three options are inadequate and why the fourth provides the only logical basis for a theology of hearing God's voice. Number one, God on mute. The first theological framework, God on mute, holds that the spirit no longer speaks in the same way as in Bible times. This position, known as cessationism, holds to the belief that divinely inspired speech ceased with the close of the canon in the early centuries of the Church, or when the original apostles died. Hence, the only way God speaks today is via the Scriptures. God's voice is heard through studying the Bible, listening to sermons and reading books that expound the Bible. Direct revelatory encounters are no longer plausible. This perspective also holds that God can only speak about that which has already been said in the biblical past. The Spirit doesn't speak specifically on personal matters, such as where to live or what job to take. Neither does God speak about His plans for the future or how to deal with ethical issues beyond the Scriptures. Instead, divine insight comes through careful application of the biblical text. In other words, we hear God's best when we hone our hermeneutical skills. As evangelical theologian James Packer wrote, While it is not for us to forbid God to reveal things apart from Scripture or to do anything else, He is God after all. We may properly insist that the New Testament discourages Christians from expecting to receive God's words to them by any other channel than that of attentive application to themselves of what is given to us 20th century Christians in Holy Scripture. The cessationist perspective has ebbed and flowed in the Church since its inception. Today, it is typically found in the Reformed and dispensational segments of the Protestant evangelical tradition, but is becoming less popular under the influence of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement in mainline churches. The thinking behind contemporary cessationism largely stems from a desire to protect the authority, uniqueness, and the sufficiency of the scriptures. This is not an unimportant concern, since history shows us that whenever the Scriptures lose their priority in the Church, doctrinal compromise soon follows. For cessationists, then, any claim to extra-biblical revelation is invalid, subversive and even demonic. It is seen to add to the canon and attack the Bible's uniqueness. Any additional voice weakens the power of the word and results in a spiritual free-for-all, giving rise to heretical movements in the church. As one of cessationism's leading proponents, John MacArthur, laments, new revelations such as dreams and visions are considered as binding on the believer's conscience as the Book of Romans or the Gospel of John. The cessationists have a good point. As we've seen, when we claim to hear God's voice, we are invoking divine authority. The scriptures themselves tell us that authority derives from the speaker. If God were truly speaking, we would be expected to obey his words as much as the biblical characters were expected to obey God's words to them. Any valid perspective on spirit versus scripture must acknowledge that a true word from God is authoritative whether it's situated within the Bible or outside of it. However, the great tragedy of the cessationist position is that it silences the voice of the Spirit in the church, the very pinnacle of the new covenant. It defies the words of the Apostle Peter when he proclaimed that Pentecost represented the long-awaited fulfilment of God's promise for the communicating Spirit. Peter made it clear that the ability to hear God's voice in the same manner as the Old Covenant prophets, Acts chapter 2, 16 to 17, was not just for those gathered in Jerusalem that day, but for all those who were afar off, Acts 2, 39, in Judea, Samaria and the nations beyond. It wasn't just for the first generation, but for their children, And all those who followed. As prophesied by Joel, the Spirit would remain forever under the new covenant. The promise of the new covenant remains today. God has spoken and continues to speak by His Spirit. While the preservation of Scripture's role is crucial, there is another way to maintain it. Two. Christians who don't read the Bible. There is a tribe of Christians in Zimbabwe who are known as Christians who don't read the Bible, and proudly so. This group, known as the Friday Apostolics, because Friday is their Sabbath, represents a second approach to the relationship of revelatory experience to Scripture. Unlike the cessationists, the Friday apostolics believe that contemporary experiences of hearing God are continuous with those of the biblical characters. That is, the outpouring of God's Spirit meant that we can all hear from God in ways that are phenomenologically equivalent to the ways the Bible characters heard. Contemporary encounters are analogous to the biblical experience in purpose, manner and kind. At the same time, this capacity to hear from God directly is seen to make Scripture irrelevant. The reason the Friday apostolics don't read their Bible is because they say it gets in the way of hearing from the Spirit. To our ears, this perspective is an alarming one, but there is some sound reasoning behind it. The apostolics recognise that God's presence is always with them and cannot be limited to a material object. Rather than relying on a book, their emphasis is to live like the apostles and have an experience of Christianity that's as vibrant and alive as when Jesus walked the earth. As leader Nazira says, Here we don't talk of Bibles. What is the Bible to me? Having it is just trouble. Look, why would you read it? It gets old. After keeping it for some time, it falls apart. The pages come out. And then you can take it and use it as toilet paper until it's finished. We don't talk Bible talk here. We have a true Bible. Anthropologist Matthew Engelke, who spent time studying this group, notes that part of the Friday Apostolic's aversion to the Bible is that it is seen as a white man's book. As such, it carries the baggage of colonialism that has plagued the tribe ever since the whites came. Moreover, the apostolics say that the missionaries often said one thing and the Bible said another. Polygamy is cited as an example. For one elder, we learnt that we could not trust the whites or their book. The Friday apostolics also argue that because the scriptures are culturally embedded, they are unable to adequately address the needs of modern-day Africa. The ancient Palestinian context of the New Testament means that it has limited relevance in a place that is haunted by AIDS and witchcraft. As they say, it is out of date like a newspaper. Instead, answers are found in hearing from the Holy Spirit, Live and direct. The apostolics even go so far as to say that the Bible acts as an obstacle to hearing from God. Like all religious artifacts, books are limited by their materialist nature. The very presence of the Bible, they say, threatens to detract from the immediacy of faith. When God's voice is contained in a book, it takes away from the central focus of Christianity. The position of the Friday apostolics is not an option for those of us who place high value on Scripture. However, the apostolics also raise some important questions. It is true that God's presence cannot be contained in a material book. Whether a book, icon or building, God's presence is never limited to a physical object. Solomon observed this in the building of the first temple, as did Paul with the second temple. People in our churches today can be guilty of this when they use their Bibles like a lucky charm or a magic tool, dipping into it whenever they want their wishes fulfilled. Like any object, the Bible can become an idol that is revered above its maker. Some scholars have even given this tendency a name, bibliolatry, described as worshipping the Father, Son and Holy Bible. As the apostolics say, when treated in this way, the Bible can get in the way of hearing the Spirit. The Friday apostolics are also correct in saying that as a first-century Greco-Roman text, the Bible does not always speak to contemporary issues. We need to do a lot of hermeneutical backflipping to make the Bible address the quirks and idiosyncrasies of contemporary ethical concerns. The wisdom insights of the ancient Near East and the Greco-Roman world cannot always speak to the questions of our day. Indeed, Jesus never said they would. Jesus held to the veracity of the scriptures, in his case the Old Testament, but he didn't position them as the one-stop shop for all our questions. This is why he sent the Spirit. Jesus knew there was more to say beyond what he could cover in his three-year ministry. The Spirit was given for the very reason of addressing the questions of Samaria, Rome and beyond. This is what makes Christianity such a powerful reality. As temples of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19, we can access the wisdom of Jesus wherever we go. And yet, the Friday apostolics put themselves in a precarious situation by giving the Bible such a low priority. When you discard the Bible, you risk displacing the church's very foundations. We need the Bible. We need the Spirit. We must not dispense with one at the expense of the other. I hope you enjoyed this excerpt from my new book, The Church Who Hears God's Voice. In the rest of the chapter, I go on to describe two more positions. The first, the third one is good, but not as good. It's the idea that what we hear from God today is different qualitatively from the way the biblical characters heard. The fourth position that I've called This Is That is the position that I explore and take up in the rest of the book, and it's the idea that it is possible to hear from God in the same way as the biblical characters without losing the anchor of the Scriptures, which bear testimony to the foundation of our faith, of course, Jesus. So we go on to explore a lot of that and then to deal with some of the problems around these other positions. It's really important that we get our thinking in this area right, that we set the boundaries and make it very clear to avoid so many of the problems. We've looked at in the previous podcast as some of the ministry problems of hearing God's voice, picked up in chapter three of the book, and then the theological problem, of course, which forms the bedrock of our thinking. Our thinking then has practical considerations. So I hope that you've enjoyed that little taster of the book. If you're interested in getting a copy of the full story, you can get it either on e-copy or hard copy. Go to godconversations.com forward slash books and wherever you are in the world, it will be available there for you. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope it's been helpful to you and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. Don't miss the next episode by subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast app. And remember, the Holy Spirit was given so we could all hear God's voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.